So question, friends, what in this life brings you joy? What in this life brings to you joy? Now, there are many things that bring to us joy in this world, is there not? Uh, For many of us, food brings joy to our lives. Uh, For me, there's nothing better than eating a a good hamburger or a good steak with some uh, sticky rice, sticky white rice. Uh, For many of us, children bring joy to our lives. Uh, when a newborn comes to this church, uh, it's almost as if there's a, uh, there's a dead carcass out there and vultures are, are just squirming around. The, the parents uh, can't breathe and, and, the, and the children can't breathe, but, but children do bring joy to our lives. Others would say that watching their favorite sports teams brings joy to their lives. Or we should say watching their favorite sports teams when they're winning brings joy to their lives. Some might say shopping or taking long naps brings joy to our lives. Another question. What do you feel, though, when you are experiencing those activities you find joy in? So we all have joys, right? But what do you experience? What do you feel when you are experiencing those joys that you find uh, joy in? In other words, what are the emotions that you feel when you are participating in that joy? If you're anything like me, there's a freedom from the world that we feel, is there not? Uh, For example, when I am at the beach, I'm in deep into the water, or when I'm at Disneyland, or when I'm at In-N-Out eating uh, that delicious hamburger, it's almost as if I'm transported into another dimension where me and my joy are the only ones who exist. It seems like when I'm at the beach, when I'm at Disneyland, when I'm eating my three-by-three, nothing else matters in this world. The world and its concerns are put on hold. When I'm at Disneyland, I'm not talking about work. When I'm at the beach, I'm not thinking about work. When I'm at In-N-Out... I'm not having conversations about how bad the world is and how bad my life is because I don't want to I don't want anything to distract me from me experiencing my joy. I say all that to say this. Saints, have you ever considered have you ever really considered the Lord's Day Sabbath a joy in your life? Have you ever considered the Lord's Day Sabbath this day? To be a joy in your life. To take it a step further, have you ever considered the Lord's Day Sabbath to be the highest joy in your life? Have you ever considered the Lord's Day Sabbath this very day to be the highest joy in your life? For the past month, Pastor Antonio has been teaching us the doctrine of the Sabbath. And in our study, we've learned many things, have we not? We've learned that the Sabbath did not begin uh, in Exodus under theocratic Israel, but rather the Sabbath day finds its roots in creation. It does not find its roots in the Ten Commandments, but rather it finds its roots at the creation of the world. The moral perpetuity of the Sabbath predates the former giving of the law. So before the law was given... The Sabbath was present. The Sabbath was active. The Sabbath was living, meaning the Sabbath was instituted at creation. God rests from his work of creation on the seventh day. And as so, he sets the seventh day apart by blessing it and hollowing it. And anytime God blesses something, he's doing it for a specific reason. For a purpose, God makes a covenant with Adam called the covenant of works, where Adam was to obey God by working and tending to the garden. He was to stretch and expand the borders of Eden to the rest of the world. In other words, the world was to mirror and look like Eden. And if Adam accomplished his work, 
his reward would be three things. Confirmed righteousness, glorification, and the creator's Sabbath rest. The last being the apex. Adam was to mirror his creator by working six days and resting on the seventh. And each Sabbath day rest for Adam was a sign that pointed to the, hear this, eschatological life that was awaiting him if he obeyed. So when I say eschatological, think last, think ultimate, and think final. And you're going to be hearing that a lot. So when you hear eschatological, eschatology, think last, ultimate, final. Meaning if Adam would have kept the terms of the covenant, if Adam would have obeyed God, if Adam would have passed his probationary period, his earthly existence would have transformed into a heavenly existence. That's what would have happened if Adam would have obeyed God. His, his mutable state would have transformed into an immutable state. We learn that despite Adam's fall, this moral obligation to keep and rest on the Sabbath remained intact throughout the Old Testament. So when Adam fell, it's not as if God did away with this principle of observing the Sabbath day. It still remained in force. And Israel was to keep and rest on the Sabbath day because it was a sign of their covenant with God. God commanded his people to observe and rest on the Sabbath day. And as we move on to the New Testament, we've learned from from Pastor Antonio that Jesus Christ didn't do away with the observance of the Sabbath, but rather he clarified the true meaning of the Sabbath. He, he heightened the meaning of the Sabbath to what it originally was intended for. And also practically in his life, he observed the Sabbath. We also considered the change of the Sabbath day. We now worship on Sunday rather than Saturday because of the resurrection of Christ and his inauguration of a new creation. And lastly, we saw in Hebrews 3 and 4 that there remains a Sabbath day keeping for the people of God. Although the mode, hear that, the mode of the Sabbath has changed. The essence of the Sabbath has not changed. The substance of the Sabbath has not changed. We, under the covenant of grace, are still commanded to observe and keep the Sabbath. Now, I know that was a mouthful, but that's all that you've learned in a nutshell. Now, where do we go from here? What else can we say about this Lord's Day Sabbath? Is there anything else that can be said about the Lord's Day Sabbath? And saints, today in our last sermon, in our series on the Sabbath, I want to present to you the joy of the Sabbath. The joy of the Sabbath. You've been hearing about the theological implications, the doctrine, um, everything that goes into the Sabbath. Now I want to give you the practical reasonings why you should find joy on this day. Why this day presents to you a joy that exceeds our Disneyland experience, our beach experience, our in and out experience. And I want to argue that this day and each and every Lord's Day should be the highest joy in our life. For the Lord's Day Sabbath provides to us an experience. But more importantly, the Lord's Day Sabbath presents to us objective truths that strengthen, encourage, minister and bring joy to our souls. So this morning, uh, I want to highlight three ways in which the Lord's Day Sabbath brings joy to our lives. Three ways that will help us, um, that will guide us through how this day brings joy to our lives. And the first is past accomplishment. Past accomplishment. The second, present grace. Present grace. And the third, future everlasting rest. Future everlasting rest. 
And the way I designed this was, is we're going to go from the past, we're going to look at the present, and then we're going to look forward to the future. And that's what this Lord's Day Sabbath brings to us. We look at the past, we look at the present, and we look toward the future. So let's look at the first point, past accomplishment. In what way does, Christ, or in what way does this, this uh, Lord's Day Sabbath bring joy to our lives? We look at the past accomplishment of the one who came and died and rose for our sins. But before that, when we accomplish something, and we've all, I'm sure, accomplished something in our lives, when we accomplish something, usually what's given to us is a trophy, maybe even a certificate, diploma, whatever. And as we move on through our lives, we, we tend to put the trophy or the certificate where everyone can see, right? But also, too, we put it in a place that's special so we can see it as well. And every time we look upon that trophy, every time we look at that certificate, it points us back to all that we had to do in order to accomplish that trophy, in order to accomplish that certificate. Every time we look upon that trophy or, or certificate, we remember the hardships, we remember the stress, but more importantly, we remember the happiness of our achievement. And saints, that is no different than how the Lord's Day Sabbath is a sign for us. In the Old Covenant, the Sabbath day observance was given to Israel as a law, but also as a sign that pointed to many things. For one, the Sabbath pointed, pointed them back to God creating in six days and resting on the seventh. Israel, like Adam, was to mirror and model their creator. Every Sabbath day, they were to remember when God created in six days and rested and hallowed and blessed the seventh day. Uh, the Sabbath also marked out the people of God. As they observed the Sabbath, Israel proclaimed to their pagan neighbors that they do not belong to this world and they do not worship a false god, but they worship the one true God, Yahweh. So the Sabbath marked out who was the people of God. Another aspect of the Sabbath was it pointed to an earthly rest in the land that God had prepared for them. So it was a sign, okay, that pointed to an earthly rest, something in the future that God was preparing for them if they had obeyed. But saints, I want to highlight in this point, and what I want to highlight in this point is the Sabbath was a sign that reminded the people of Israel of God's accomplishing work in redemption. That the Sabbath for Israel was a sign that reminded them of God's accomplishing work in redemption. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. <clears throat> In verses 1 through 15, it says this, or 12 through 15, I'm sorry. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. This is God giving Israel reasonings for why they should observe it. Mind you, this is the second time God has given this, okay? So he's adding to the Sabbath and, 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 and the significance of it. Verse 13, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do not, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates. Now, here's where we really want to hone in on. Verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. So here we see that the Sabbath day observance 
was to remind the people of Israel of the time when God brought them out of the slavery and bondage in Egypt and defeated Pharaoh and his armies. That's what the Sabbath did in the Old Covenant. That's what partially what uh, reminded the people. It reminded them of God and what he done to release them from their slavery. Every Sabbath day, Israel was to remember the finished and accomplished work of God. And this was to be a joy and delight to Israel. Similar to when you look at your trophy or you look at your diploma or your certificate. Is that not a joy when you think back of what all the things you had to go through in order to earn that trophy? Here, Israel is to anticipate the day when they could rest from their labors and look back at what God has brought them out of. And saints, that function of the Sabbath has not changed under the new covenant. Meaning the way Israel observed the Sabbath, the way that the Sabbath pointed them back to their exodus, right? That function has not changed under the covenant of grace. Under the new covenant, every Lord's Day Sabbath, saints, we as spiritual Israel look back at the eschatological exodus that the eschatological son brought us out of. Meaning we as true Israel, right, look back at the greater exodus that the greater prophet, the one that was greater than Moses brought us out of. Just as every Sabbath day reminded Israel of their slavery under the rule and reign of Pharaoh, every Lord's Day Sabbath reminds us, the people of God, of our slavery under the rule and reign of sin. Just as every Sabbath day reminded Israel of the day when God conquered Pharaoh and his armies, Every Lord's Day Sabbath, every Sunday, reminds us of the time and the day when the skull-crushing seed of the woman came and defeated him and trampled him under feet. That is what the Lord's Day Sabbath points to. Israel under the new or in the old covenant observed the Sabbath for it pointed them back at the finished and accomplished work of God. And therefore the church the antitype, the true people of God in the new covenant observes the Sabbath day for points us back at the finished and accomplished work of Jesus Christ. A work that was greater than the first Exodus. God in his great mercy and grace, saints has given to us a day that points back at the greatest event that has ever taken place, the incarnation of the eternal Son of God, coming to live, die, and rise for His people. And saints, what, this day, what, what, what joy this day brings to us, and what a joy it is that we observe this day. What a joy it is to look back of the life, at the life of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, becoming like His own, humbling himself to the point of humiliation by taking on human flesh. In his life, Christ amazed people by his miracles. He spoke to the religious elite with power and authority. He welcomed prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners into his company. But saints, Christ wasn't just a good moralist. He wasn't just a good person for us as humanity to follow. But Jesus was the Christ. He was the Messiah, the one who would come and bear the sins of his people and be the federal head of a new creation. In Christ's life, Jesus is born under the law. And as he lived, he obeyed God's moral law perfectly in order to release us from under the condemnation of the law. Jesus lives perfectly and obeys his father perfectly as the first Adam was supposed to do. Jesus Christ is that faithful son as Israel was supposed to be. Christ in his death carried the weight of every sinner who would believe in him. He took our sin and he nailed it to a cross. 
In his death, Christ satisfies all the just and righteous demands of Almighty God. Meaning this, all of my sin, all of my shame, all of my guilt was imputed to him. And by faith in him, his perfect righteousness is imputed to me. He takes my dirty laundry. He takes all that's filthy within me and he gives me his righteous robe. But saints, we know that the story doesn't end there. For death and the grave could not contain Jesus. For in three days he rises from the dead as a vindicated and victorious Savior. Saints, this day points us back to the greatest life one who has ever lived. It reminds us of God's goodness and kindness toward us. It reminds us of God's faithfulness, that he has kept his promise. That's in Genesis 3.15, a skull-crushing seed of a woman would come, bear the sins of his people, rise for their justification, and bring many sons and daughters to glory. Saints, all that's accomplished by Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection is applied to the church by faith. This day that we observe reminds us of that. That we do not have to earn a perfect standing before a holy God, but one who has perfect has come and earned it on our behalf. This is what that day points, points back to, to, toward. Saints, what a joy it is every Sabbath to, to, to have the opportunity to look back at the great accomplishment by our Lord, his life and his death and his resurrection. Should not a day that points back to how Christ won his victory and reconciliation and redemption and adoption bring joy to our lives. Every Lord's Day Sabbath, let us say like the psalmist who says in Psalm 77, 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I'll remember your wonders of old. That's the type of attitude we need to have every Lord's Day Sabbath. That we will remember the deeds of our Lord, the work that accomplished, that was accomplished by our Lord, and, 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 and gaze and think about his wonders and, and how he uh, took on our sin and how he was raised on the third day for our justification. Saints, every Lord's Day Sabbath reminds us that we are no longer slaves to sin, but on the account of Christ and him alone and by faith in him, we are sons and daughters of God. Christ takes us who were hostile to God. He takes our hostility and he tears down the walls. And now we are welcomed. Now we are friends. Now we are sons and daughters of the Almighty. We are no longer slaves, but we are heirs to the throne of God. Should you not wake up excited and joyous for this day? Not the morning, not the evening, the day. The day. Saints, if this doesn't bring to you joy, then maybe you've graduated from hearing of our Lord's redeeming work. Maybe you've become unmoved when you consider what Christ has done for you. Saints, if that's you, if you've become passive about hearing of Christ's redeeming work, and if you become passive about hearing of his redemption and accomplishment, think about this. Christ was not passive in your redemption. Christ was not passive in saving you from God. The moment you, you, you become unmoved, the moment when you think you've earned a Ph.D. in the gospel, think again. You will never graduate from hearing this. Always become moved. Always let it uh, motivate you to praise God and worship him and observe him on the day that he's given to us. As a gift. Friends, this is the first point that we can't miss. That Sunday is no ordinary day. This day is not like Saturday. This day is not like payday Friday. This day is not like Monday. This is the Lord's day. And every Sunday points to us a redemptive reality. Something that actually happened in time, in space by someone who was of flesh. Sunday carries within it a unique, redemptive significance that each Lord's Day, every Lord's Day that we observe, we are declaring to the world the finished 
and accomplished work of Jesus Christ. We as a church in wilderness and wandering observe the Sabbath day for it points us back at the accomplishing work of Jesus Christ. Let's now move to our second point, which is present grace. Present grace. Alongside, alongside the Sabbath, the Lord's Day Sabbath, and guys, when I say Lord's Day, I mean Sabbath. When I say Sabbath, I mean Christian Sabbath. When I mean Christian Sabbath, I mean the Sabbath. So the Lord's Day Sabbath, as long as, as, alongside it pointing us back to the redeeming work of our Lord, the Lord's Day Sabbath also does something great. It, ta- it takes it up a level. It, it takes it up a notch. The Lord's Day Sabbath also provides to God's people, hear this, the benefits of Christ's redemption. And maybe you, have, maybe you didn't catch that. Every Lord's Day Sabbath, we as God's people are given the benefits of Christ's redemption. In other words, the Sabbath, and write this down, is a means of grace. The Sabbath is is a means of grace to God's people. The Puritans often called the Sabbath the market day of the soul. Puritan Richard Greenham describes the Sabbath as the school day, the fair day, the market day, the feeding of the soul. The Puritans viewed the Sabbath similar to the fair day. And we've all, well, most of us went to the fair, so this, uh, this example will, be, will fit right at home with you. When one goes to the fair, there are various activities that are there to help make that experience of the fair that much better, right? Those activities that are there are there to help us in our fair experience. You can say that the activities of the fair are means that are, that are used to heighten our joy, heighten our excitement, and heighten our experience. So when we go to the fair, the Ferris wheel, that's a means to heighten our joy and experience of the fair. The corn dogs or the delicious cinnamon rolls, those are means to help us uh, heighten our experience of the fair. But if those things weren't there, you just got dirt. You just got road. You don't have a fair. So those things are there to heighten our fair experience. And friends, that is no different from how the Lord's Day Sabbath functions for God's people. Every Lord's Day Sabbath, God provides to his people grace through various means. Every Lord's Day Sabbath, God provides to his people grace through various means. So in this point, I have two subpoints that will help us unpack this. Unpack the Sabbath as a means of grace. Uh, the first subpoint is, what is a means of grace? We have to define what a means of grace is. Um, what does it mean when we say that something is a means of grace? Well, first, let's answer, what are means? What does it mean when we say that something is a means? Means are a way of getting something to someone. Means are, 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 are a way of getting something to someone. For example, your cell phone is a means for you to talk to someone else, right? If you did not have your cell phone, then you would not be able to vocally communicate with someone else, right? When you break your leg or when you're sick, medicine and doctors are means for you to get better. If there is no medicine... If there is no doctor, you're still going to be sick, uh, well, maybe naturally be healed, or you'll have a broken leg. So there are things in life that are put in place by God, right, as means to, to get us to something. Another example, when a soldier uh, is sent out to the battlefield, the captain might say this, do whatever means necessary to conquer your enemy. In other words... To conquer the enemy, do whatever you have to do or use whatever you have to use to complete your mission. So now let's define a means of grace. 
We know that means are, are used to get something to someone, right? The means of grace now, and here's a definition for you. The means of grace are activities commanded by Christ through which the Spirit of Christ blesses the people of Christ. One more time. The means of grace are activities commanded by Christ through which the Spirit of Christ blesses the people of Christ. Richard Barcelos defines the means of grace as delivery systems. God has instituted to bring grace. That is, and this grace is this, spiritual power, spiritual change, spiritual help, spiritual fortitude, and spiritual blessings to needy souls on earth. One more time. The means of grace are delivery systems that God has instituted to bring grace. And this grace is this, spiritual power, spiritual change, spiritual help, spiritual fortitude, and spiritual blessings to needy souls on earth. Grace comes from the Father through the Son by the Spirit and gives blessings and grace to his people through the ordained means. But what blessings do we receive from these means? And the answer is this, saints, and it's not money, (laughs) it's not cars, it's nothing material, but it's far better. It's far more um, grand and excellent Through the means of grace, all of the benefits of Christ's redemption are communicated to his people. Through the means of grace, all of the benefits of Christ's redemption are communicated to his people. In other words, Jesus takes what he won on our behalf and applies and distributes those benefits to our lives. Now, when we say that Jesus takes what he won for us and applies and distributes them to our lives, what I'm not saying is that we are earning justification. What I'm not saying is there are levels to justification. Once you believe in Jesus Christ and put faith in him, you are justified. You are declared righteous and holy before a holy God. So when we say that Jesus applies and distributes the benefits he won for us to our lives, don't think justification, but rather think sanctification. That's what the means of grace are used for, for our sanctification. Christ, through the means of grace, is sanctifying us. He's changing us. Just as good protein and healthy fats and good carbohydrates are foundational for a good diet, the means of grace are the foundational diet and exercise that provides our growth as believers. So saints, you don't need self-help books. And you don't need to go to conferences that teach you on how to receive the blessings of God here and now. But every single Lord's Day, God has given to us through his ordained means of grace, blessings from heaven. They come down from heaven to your souls. So to summarize subpoint number one, the means of grace are the ordinary things in which God uses to work on us spiritually. And through the means of grace, we receive all the benefits of Christ's redemption to help us become more like Christ. And this is what the means of grace are intended for. This is the goal and the aim of the means of grace. It is to conform and transform you more to the image of Jesus Christ. We all want to be like Jesus. Now let's focus on sub-point number two. Now that we have answered what is the means of grace... Let's answer, now, how is the Sabbath a means of grace? I mean, it seems like just a regular day. Some of us even think it's it's an extended Saturday, you know. But how is this day a means of grace for us? And the answer is this, saints. On this Sabbath day and throughout this Sabbath day, all the various means of grace are accessible to God's people. On this day, all of God's means of grace are accessible to God's people. 
In other words, if there is no Sabbath day, there is no ordinary means of grace. There is no Christ communicating all the benefits that he won for us. If there is no Lord's Day Sabbath. In other words, we can say this. The Sabbath day is the entrance into all the various means of grace that God has ordained to help sanctify his people. Once you wake up, you have entered into the Lord's Day Sabbath. And as the Puritans would say, welcome to the market day of the soul. Welcome to the market day of the soul. I want to just highlight three means of grace um, that we receive on this day. And the first is the preached word. The preached word. God uses the preached word as a means of grace to spiritually transform his people. Martin Luther said this about the power of the word of God. Hear what he says here. I will preach it, teach it, write it, but I will constrain no man by force. For faith must come freely without compulsion. Take myself for as an example. I have opposed indulgences and all the papists, but never with force. I simply taught. I preached and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends Philip and Absdorf, hear this. The word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. One of the great developments of the Reformation was the power and the primacy of the preached word. And what they came to, the conclusion that they came to was this. Every Lord's Day Sabbath, when we preach to you God's word, And when we do it faithfully, it is as if God is speaking to you. When we preach God's word, it is as if God himself is speaking to you. When the preacher preaches faithfully, the congregation actually hears God's word. Or we can simply put it like this. It is really God who speaks to the congregation. God comes to his people through the declaration of the word, by the mouths of his preacher. And saints, this heightens our view of the word as being preached to you. The preached word, saints, is not just an empty shell, devoid of any redemptive grace. But through the preached word, God accomplishes his purposes in our lives. The preached word is not just an empty shell where I'm just up here and and breaking down scripture and trying to put it together nicely in, in a nice bow for you. But there is something happening when the word goes forth. These are not just empty words, but grace is coming down from heaven to people, to the souls, to the congregation. So saints... When the word is being preached to you, don't focus on the literary skills that I have as a writer. Don't focus on how I can uh, make uh, simple and make sense of complex doctrines. Don't allow your mind to wander on what you're going to eat after church. Don't allow your mind to wander on the things you have to do. How many times in this church especially have I seen people, when the preached word is going forth, looking at scriptures that have nothing to do with the word? looking at their phone, talking to someone else, gazing and thinking about other things that have nothing to do with the preached word, letting their children color and write and do whatever they have to do in order to keep them occupied. Saints, if that is you, and if you do not take seriously this time right now, you are missing out on the greatest and primary benefit to our souls That this is not just me preaching to you, but God is talking to you. That there is something happening at this very moment when the word is going forth. That right now, as I am speaking, God is using this message 
to help you grow and mature spiritually. That is greater than any material blessing that you can ever receive. And that's why we say the ordinary things that we do, preaching, God transforms and he takes them and he makes them something grand and spiritual and exciting and joyous and life-changing. God is transforming you, saints, right now through the preaching of the word. And saints, that is grace right now being communicated to you. Right now, if you, if you maybe feel some sort of uh, angst or anxiety, or if you feel like, man, that's me, that's grace being communicated to you. <clears throat> the words that I speak to you now are not meaningless filler, saints, nor are the words that Pastor Antonio preaches, uses, or the words that Pastor John uses, but there's actually something that is happening to your souls. So when the word is being preached, Fix your posture. When the word is being preached, focus on what the preacher is actually saying, regardless if you know the doctrine, regardless if you've listened to that sermon a million times. Don't miss out on grace that's being communicated from the Father to you. Now, alongside God using the preached word as a means of grace to sanctify his people, God also uses the Lord's Supper. What do you know? As a means of grace uh, for his people. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, grace, this is what's happening. Grace is conveyed through the gospel message presented by and with the elements when received by faith. In other words, the Lord's Supper is a visible word that presents to us the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians ten sixteen. The cup of blessing that we bless, hear this, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? This is more than just a memorial. This is more than just a memory. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're, just, we're doing more than looking back at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Richard Barcelo says this, The point being made from this text is that the bread and the wine are signs, which signify, hear this, present participation. Not future, which it is, but not past either. But right now, right here, present participation or present communion in the present benefits Procured by Christ's body and blood. What that means is this. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, brings down from heaven all the benefits of his life, death, and resurrection. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are not merely looking back at his life, death, and resurrection. But when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are actually presently right now fellowshipping with Jesus Christ. We are right now spiritually feasting on his body and blood. That's what's happening in the Lord's Supper. It's more than just a memorial. It's more than just a memory. But there are present blessings that we spiritually partake and feast on Christ's body and blood. Every Lord's Day Sabbath, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, and as we hear the preached word, it is as if heaven is being brought to our souls. Heaven comes down to our souls by the Holy Spirit through the means of grace. Heaven comes to you every single Sunday through the means of grace, through the preached word, Christ is speaking to our souls. Through the Lord's Supper, we are brought in union and communion with the risen and ascended Lord. There is more that is happening in the preached word, in the Lord's Supper, that we fail to realize. Saints, should that not heighten our view of the Lord's day? Should these two means of grace not bring joy to our lives. And I haven't even got to the last one. The last one is, the last means of grace is this day, the Lord's Day Sabbath. This day, apart from the preached word, apart from 
the Lord's Supper, apart from prayer, apart from reading the word, apart from fellowshipping, which are all means of grace, is a means of grace in and of itself, apart from anything. It is a gift from God. Jesus says in Mark 2.27, a scripture that we've been hearing about and learning about all throughout these weeks, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Saints, in order for us to really, really enjoy this day, we must understand this one principle. God has not robbed us from a day, but he has given to us a day. He has not taken a day from us, but he has given to us a day. This is not an extended Saturday. This is not an extended Friday. This is the Lord's day, the day that he has made for our delight. You've heard it before, for his glory, for our pleasure. It is a pleasure to look back at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a pleasure to partake and fellowship and hear God's word on this day. Saints, if you don't find joy and pleasure in that, then how in the world are you going to enjoy heaven? If you don't find joy in that, then maybe you need to go to hell. <laughs> and I, I don't, and I, not that you're going to go there, but in hell, there is no Sabbath. The only place where Sabbath is observed is here on earth and everlasting in heaven. But if you do not enjoy what's happening now, then maybe you need to rethink heaven. Maybe you need to rethink what this day actually means and, and what's all being spoken and, and happening on this day. He has not given us a day that we observe out of duty, saints, but he's given us a day that we observe out of delight. One question I have, in light of all of that, why would you miss church? In light of what has all been said, and I've just spoke about two means of grace, three counting the day, why would you miss this time? Why would you want to do anything else? It makes no sense when you understand what's actually happening when we gather and meet together. What in your life are you doing Saturday night that causes you to come tired? And when you're tired, you're not going to want to listen. You're not going to want to participate. You're going to just go through your religious activities as if there is nothing actually happening. My recommendation is, Prepare yourself for this day. Go to sleep early if you have to. Bring a coffee with you. Bring something with you so you can be alert and be attentive because there's something happening that's, that's for our spiritual good and for our spiritual souls. Why would you want to miss out on the benefits that Christ distributes and applies to his people on this day? Even if you're out of town, go to church observe the day it is not a free day it is the lord's day that points back to what he has done on our behalf this day saints is more special and more unique than any birthday any wedding any anniversary any football game any family gathering this is the lord's day your family didn't save you your marriage didn't save you your anniversary is not that special. You're going to have another one. The Raiders, the Cowboys, the Niners didn't save you. Sorry, Pat. But this is the Lord's day that points to the one who has saved us. Observe it. It's a joy. It's a day when we rest from our sojourning and we receive, hear this, the showers of blessings that fall from the throne of grace. This is the market day of the soul where our souls come hungry and Christ from his throne of heaven brings nourishment and refreshment to our souls. Saints, what a gift and what a joy this is. The Lord's Day Sabbath. Let's now turn to our last point, which is the future everlasting rest. The future everlasting rest. As if things couldn't get any better. 
as if thinking about what Christ has done for us was enough, as if receiving all the benefits of Christ on this day wasn't enough, we turn it up just a little bit more. So far, we've learned that the Lord's Day Sabbath provides to us many things. It's a sign that points back to what Christ accomplished in his life. It's a means of grace for the people of God. God uses his day to sanctify us through the preached word, the Lord's Supper, and the Lord's Day. And here on our third point, saints, we've come to the cherry on top. We've come to what I used to say, the whipped cream in the middle. We've come to, we've come to the reason why we should have hope, the reason why we should long for heaven. We've come to the point in which we look forward to what we have inherited in Christ. This is the third point. Every Lord's Day Sabbath, we look forward to our future everlasting rest. Every Lord's Day Sabbath, we look back, we receive all the benefits in the present, and we look forward to the future and what God has prepared for us. Hebrews 4.9 says this, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Pastor Antonio preached a wonderful message on that. Gerhardus Voss says this in his biblical theology, Before all important things, Therefore, the Sabbath is an expression of the eschatological principle. Remember, think last, ultimate, climactic, right, end. Expression of the eschatological principle on which the life of humanity has been constructed. There is to be a world process, a finale. There was an overture, and these two belong inseparably inseparably together. What Voss is saying is this, and what I think the writer of Hebrews is saying is this. Life is not meaningless. Life is not meaningless. But life is not aimless. But it has a goal beyond it. When God created Adam, he created Adam with a goal that he could obtain, right? He was created with something that he could have if he obeyed. In other words, hear this, Adam's life was moving somewhere. Adam's life was intended to reach a destination that was higher than he currently was in. His earthly body had the potential to transform into a heavenly body if he obeyed, right? His mutable state had the potential to transform and change into an immutable state. You've heard it said by Pastor Antonio, but Adam was created with an eschatology. Adam was created with an eschatology. Meaning this, guys. Adam was created with an ultimate climactic end. An ultimate climactic end. And if Adam would have obeyed God and passed his probationary period, he would have entered into that ultimate climactic end, which is this. The Creator's Sabbath rest. That was the ultimate climactic end for Adam. The Creator's Sabbath rest. So the Sabbath for Adam, hear this, was a sign. Every time he observed the Sabbath, it was a sign that pointed to something greater. It pointed to something more substantial. Something that was consummate, that had no end. When he observed the Sabbath day, he was too long and looked forward to that day being eternal, that day being everlasting. We know that Adam disobeyed God. And as we move through redemptive history, we see God renewing the Sabbath sign with Israel. And Israel, in many ways, was an Adam-like figure. They were corporate Adam. And they, too, were given the Sabbath as a sign that pointed towards rest. However, it was not the same rest that Adam could obtain. So they too observed the Sabbath because it pointed to a rest, but not the same rest that Adam could have obtained. 
This offer of rest that was promised to Israel was not the ultimate climactic eschatological rest in heaven, but it was an earthly rest in the land of Canaan. As you remember, they were wandering in the desert. And if they obeyed, they would have reached their rest, this earthly rest. And as Israel entered the promised land, because remember, they, they entered the promised land and then they kept getting kicked out of the promised land. They'd come back to the promised land. But as they entered the promised land, under the leadership of Joshua, the rest that they received was, hear this, typological. Meaning, it was a type of something greater. The rest that they, Israel, received was a shadowy rest. It was a typological rest that pointed beyond itself to the ultimate rest that would be given by the greater Joshua into Jesus Christ. Adam could not bring mankind into God's rest, into that ultimate climactic uh, eschatological rest. Joshua could not bring mankind into that rest. Israel as a nation could not bring mankind into that rest. But when Christ came, but when Christ, the last Adam, the faithful Israel comes, he brings us into God's once for all rest by his perfect obedience and works. The work demanded in the covenant of works with Adam, he failed and he could not obtain that Sabbath rest. The works that was demanded under the covenant with Israel, they couldn't, they failed and they did not enter into that rest. But the work demanded in Christ's covenant of works was fulfilled. That is why Jesus can say in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you the rest that was promised to Adam. I will give you the rest that was promised and was looking forward as Israel entered the land of Canaan. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, weary and heavy laden and burdened down from this law, this law that, that breaks our backs and keeps reminding us of our sin, reminding us of our guilt and shame. Come unto me, and I will give you not just greater sleep, not just a better nap, I will give you the creator's Sabbath rest, something that is consummate, substantial, everlasting, and eternal. By faith alone, apart from works, we are given rest, which is so different than how it was originally. Adam was to work, then rest. And if he completed his work, he would get that final rest. Israel was to work and then rest. What do we do? We don't work. We believe in the one who worked on our behalf. The rest that God gives to us, that Christ gives to us, is not an earthly rest in the land, but the ultimate eschatological rest of God himself. Saints, this is the greatest news that one could ever hear. When we sing, it is well, oh my soul, it is well, have this in mind. Because if it wasn't for this, you would still be working for your salvation. You would still have to earn your salvation before a holy God. But Christ, on the account of his life, death, and resurrection, has brought to your souls rest. And then you can sing, it is well. The first Adam worked toward rest. The last Adam worked so we can rest. Saints, this day screams redemptive historical significance that Jesus Christ was raised on this day. And this is the significance of the resurrection. The resurrection marks the time, marks the first time and the only time that an obedient man has entered into God's eschatological Sabbath. That's what the resurrection points forward to, points signifies the first time someone has ever defeated Satan and the works and obeyed God's moral law perfectly and entered into God's eschatological consummate, everlasting, eternal rest. In other words, the eternal rest of God himself that was originally offered at the beginning of creation has finally been achieved for man. 
as the second Adam. And hear this, as the second Adam and as the inaugurator of a new humanity, of a new creation, on the account of Christ's works, the eternal rest of the new heavens and the new earth has intruded into the midst of history. That final rest that we will receive in the new heavens and the new earth has intruded into the midst of history. What I mean by that is this. We as believers in Christ have obtained in Christ the creator's Sabbath rest in an already not yet way. That we have obtained the creator's eschatological rest, just not in a fully realized way. And every Sabbath day, saints, as you rest from your labors, as you come to church excited to hear God's word and partake of the means of grace, we are appetizing what that fully realized Sabbath rest will be. Every Lord's Day Sabbath, we are taking a small bite of what that eternal rest will be. The weekly Sabbath shadows the heavenly reality that awaits us. This day is to mirror that day. That day when we are all brought home. That day when we can rest from our labors. And, 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 and rest in, in Christ, the rest that is consummate and eternal. We can also put it this way. Every Sabbath day is a preview of heaven. Every Sabbath day is a preview. Right now is a preview of heaven. It's a foretaste of what's to come, saints. Again, Gerardus Voss says this, the Sabbath is not in the first place a means of advancing religion. This goes against everything we've ever been taught. The Sabbath is not in the first place a means of advancing religion. It has its main significance apart from that and pointing forward to the eternal issues of life and humanity. What Voss is saying is this, the main significance of the Sabbath, of this day, is not the primary reading of the word. It's not the preaching of the word. It's not the praying. It's not the fellowshipping. It's not the worshiping God through song. The reason why you observe this day is not for you to hear a good message. The reason why you come to church is not primarily for you to fellowship with one another. But this day goes beyond all of that. It has an eschatological trajectory that points us forward to the eternal issues in our eternal home. That's the main significance of this day. In its nature, it is eschatological. In its nature, we are to, we are to as we observe this day, think about heaven. As Jonathan Edwards would say, you will never be much good in this life until you have, until you've earned, until you've obtained a healthy, healthy, what do you say, a healthy saturation with the life that's to come. Until you've focused your mind on heaven, you will never be much good in this world. You will never be much good in this life. Therefore, the Sabbath for us saints is a typical sign that points to our eternal consummate rest. The rest that Christ has entered into his humanity is the same rest that will be conferred upon his people at the end of this wilderness age. And as we observe this day, we declare and testify that we do not belong to this country. We do not belong to the United States of America. We belong to a different country, a better country, a consummate Sabbath land. As Pastor Antonio said, each Sabbath day reminds us to fix our eyes on what is seen or what is not seen. Fix our eyes on not what is seen, but what is unseen. Fix our eyes on not what is seen, but what is unseen, and that unseen reality is a land of uninterrupted Sabbath rest. Uninterrupted Sabbath rest. Do you, do you wish that Sunday was, you can do the same things on Sunday that you do Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday? 
And I'm not talking about the things. I'm not talking about go to the mall and go to other things. I'm talking about this. I'm talking about when you come to church and worship God. Do you wish that 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 could transfer over to Monday and Tuesday? Saints, that's heaven for you. And every Sabbath day, every Lord's Day, we preview that. So in closing, saints, this is the joy of the Lord's Day Sabbath. What a wonderful gift that God has given to his people. That every Lord's Day Sabbath, what a joy it is to look back at our redemption that Christ has bought on our behalf. What a joy it is to look back at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A life that was lived perfectly. A life that ended triumphantly. And a life that was raised gloriously. This day, we look back at our Redeemer's work. And we also, on this day, receive the benefits of that work through the means of grace. God has given us a day as a means to transform us into more and more the image of Jesus Christ. Through the preached word, Christ ministers and speaks to our souls. Through the Lord's Supper, Christ feeds our souls spiritually with his body and blood. And lastly, saints, what a joy it is to look forward to our eternal home. In a time when we don't know what's going to happen in this world, We know that God's word never stumbles, never fades. We know that it is true. It has stood the test of time. And every Sabbath day, we are reminded that we will not be on this earth forever. But there is a consummate Sabbath land that awaits us. Six days a week, we labor and work in this wilderness land. We labor and work as sojourners, as aliens in this land. But what a joy it is to know that every Sabbath day, every Sunday, a heavenly oasis awaits us. An oasis where other sojourners and pilgrims come from all across the area. They cease from their, from their wilderness wandering and their wilderness work, and they rest on the market day of the soul. Saints, I pray that as we've gone through this series, you've been blessed You've been encouraged, you've been edified, and your view of the Lord's Day Sabbath has transformed into something more greater, something more heavenly, something that we long and we find joy in. Let's stand.